Nation College Football P5 versus G5. This is your co-host Steve Payson. And we'll get to Trey here in a couple seconds, but in today's episode, we're going to cover uh, the the current coaching carousel that's going on. There's been a couple interesting tidbits going on, and especially close to home with both Trey and I. Uh, we have Boise State finally making their head coach announcement, and Brian Harson starting to fill out his staff at Auburn. Um, from there, we're going to move on to what how we felt the semifinals went and how we both were quite surprised in the second semifinal game. And then we'll go into preview the uh, championship game. And this is going to be close to our final episode. We probably have only one more after this one from there. We'll see what happens. I might do a couple in between off season type things and we'll go from there. So, Trey, what do you got going? Oh man, it's uh, watching some some great college semifinal games, and uh, been tuned in the last last two days to the to the big boys in the NFL. But that's neither here nor there. But a lot going on in the college world, and uh, so let's get into it. Um, watching watching Alabama square off against Notre Dame, kind of. I won't say I told you so, but <laughs> for our listeners that listen on a regular basis, I pretty much called that one down to a T. Uh, Alabama did exactly what they thought they were, and big shout-out to Dante Freeman for winning the Heisman. First wide, first true wide receiver to win it since Desmond Howard in 1991. Smith. And Dante Smith. Smith. Dante Smith. I'm sorry. Uh, You're going back in time there, Freeman. Yeah, way, way back. <laughs> <laughs> But Dante Smith has been an absolute animal. He has been unstoppable. The Slim Reaper just throwing up all sorts of numbers this year. Yeah. 1,600 yards receiving. I lost track of the touchdowns after about 20. <laughs> and just well-deserved. Well deserved. So kudos to Steve Saban and the staff there at Alabama. They've put in a lot of work. And uh, big props to Mr. Smith who is now yeah. immortalized in the hall yes. with the rest of the Heisman winners. I watched the first half of that semifinal game and what he was doing, that one touchdown in the forward right corner, I swore, nah, he didn't get his feet down, no way. Nope, there was straight on super slow-mo, both toes just scraping in the inbounds, and he pulled that in. He just the first half he had a phenomenal game and I got the feeling, yep, this is exactly what we were looking for. Alabama being just as efficient as ever. I mean, what they had a total of four, I think it was four drives in that first half, three of them touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, kudos, kudos to Notre Dame's combined offense and defense. They kind of kept, Alabama off the field and they they did put up a little bit of a fight to where Alabama did have to work and it wasn't really easy for Alabama but then again it was and it was like three out of four for touchdowns I didn't watch the obviously I didn't watch the second half I had something else going on until the uh the second game that night 
Well, it, when you're when you're as well rounded as Alabama's offense is with uh, Najee Harris and Mac Jones and the slew of wide receivers and even the tight ends are are top notch. And I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention the big boys up front who are just absolute road graders. And it felt like they just imposed their will the yes. first half and then, you know, put it to bed in the second half. Because that's, I feel like that score could have been a lot worse. And not saying he took the gas pedal away a little bit, but I feel there definitely could have been some more points hung on Notre Dame and in, in that game. But, uh, yeah. you, you, you say you caught the second half. Tell me what, tell me what you thought about that little, uh, oh, I didn't catch this. I, I, no, 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 no. First I'm half sorry. The, oh, the second game. I'm sorry. The second game. Yes. Um, I sat and watched that entire game mainly because my jaw was drop hitting the floor on what Ohio state was doing. I mean, last episode, we both talked and we thought, you know, Clemson would come around, come, come away with it. And be, mainly because of their offensive backfield, Ohio state had, had didn't want any of it. Their defensive line, you know, everybody's talking about, I'm going to butcher his name. I want to say Tugi. Um, <laughs> one of their tackles. It's, sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. And, well, I could probably pronounce the name if I actually remembered it, but Tugi is st- sitting out in my uh, in my head right now, and I apologize to the Ohio State fans, especially one of our old shopmates who is stuck in Ohio right now, and I doubt he's listening, but he, he's a big Ohio State fan also. I think Trey knows, who's, knows who I'm talking about. Oh, indeed um, I do. It, it, it's hard to not remember old, old Daniel. Yeah. So I apologize to those Ohio State fans that I'm butchering that D lineman's name, but what stood out to me was Cooper, their their rush end. He was a man. Just his hair was on fire, and he didn't know what to do. He just he knew what he, he did know what to do, and he got to the quarterback is what he did. I tell you, I tell you what they 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 talked about the 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 Buckeyes front defense not being very athletic and I didn't see it. I, I saw guys that were playing with purpose, playing with technique, and they were and like you said, they were getting after the ball and they were making life miserable for Etienne and Lawrence and anybody else that lined up in that backfield for Clemson. They were in their face all night long. Yeah. And it just you know, Clemson popped out to that 14 nothing lead, and I was like, oh. Here we go. <laughs> here we go. And, you know, I listened to uh, – I also listened to the big boys uh, out of ESPN and the, the college football podcast uh, with, you know, Herb, Herb Street and uh, Pollock. And I was listening to the Pollock, and – the one thing I want to ask you, and, and they, they brought it up, is Clemson's offensive coordinator. With him being gone, how much do you think that had to do with how Clemson looked? Because the way I saw it, the way Pollock was putting it, yeah, they had their scripted plays, 
they got through their scripted plays, which the OC helps to script, and they pop out to that 14 nothing lead. They run out of the scripted plays, and I, I can see it now that, that after he brought it up, you'd have the close-up of Lawrence looking over to the side, trying to get the, the offensive signal, and he's begging for the signal. You can see him begging for it with his eyes, and he wasn't, and, and when he'd get it, it'd kind of be a couple blinks and say, okay, here we go. Let's run it. After I hear Pollock talk about that, all of a sudden, yeah, I, I could see it clear as day. It, it, I think it really affected them on their play calls and what Lawrence was actually expecting. You got any thoughts on that one? Well, the, it, it was definitely a trickle-down effect. With the OC being out uh, under protocol, it, it it happened exactly how you thought it would happen because OC, uh, coordinators make their money making adjustments on the fly. And like you said, I'm sure they had a 10, 15-play script to open up the game, and we saw exactly what happened. Clemson put points on the board. Clemson was efficient. They They looked like the Clemson of the past three years. The problem is Ryan day starts making adjustments and that Ohio state defense start making adjustments in order to stop said scripted plays. Mm -hmm. So now that whole scripted playbook is thrown out the window and now your offensive assistant, I can't remember uh, who was taking over play duty. Start with the T I can't get the whole name, but, but, that's where you see the inexperience and you see the trickle down effect coming where he's trying to make, make decisions and he's trying to get information and he doesn't have the experience to make those decisions and then get the information to the players in a timely manner. So you're going to see hiccups. You're going to start seeing lapses in in play and in tempo. And with Clemson's offense is very, it's, it's a very tempo based offense. And when you take that tempo away, you take their effectiveness away. And with the tempo gone and play calling in doubt, you saw Ohio State's defense take advantage of it. And that's where the defensive line comes into play and starts getting after it because Mm -hmm. they're just, they're playing ball. They're not having to think, they're just going. So I definitely think that not having their regular OC in the, in the building definitely hurt Clemson. Definitely, definitely affected their play calling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We were, I was completely off when it comes to the name. Um, The offensive coordinator that was sitting out was Tony Elliott and the assistant, the assistant that ended up uh, doing the play calling during the game was Streeter, Brandon Streeter. He's the uh, passing game coordinator. Uh, where Elliot is the running backs, but Elliot is the normal play caller, so it kind of right. threw it kind of threw Streeter into the into the fray. I mean, he did have a week to prepare because it was known a week prior that Elliot was going to be out. But right, it's still it's something odd from an odd season. That yeah, well, it hurts you pretty, pretty much sums it up. I mean. And and you feel bad for him because I feel like if if Elliot's there and he's calling plays, that's a different ballgame. Yeah. 
But big, I mean, on the flip side of that, Ohio State and uh, Story, man, he had himself a heck of a game. And, and, and not to be outdone, Justin Fields set Sugar Bowl records. Yeah. Yeah. He had, what was it? Six. Four, four, six, six touchdowns accounted for? Six. Six Jeez. touchdowns. That's uh that's a good game at any level, let alone at the highest <laughs> at the semifinals yeah. in the college playoff. That's just, that's just unreal. Yeah. So the another thing that I saw was and I ne- not necessarily saw it. I saw it didn't didn't register until again listening to that that the, the big boy podcast. <laughs> Um, on how Ryan Day and they those those guys called the game. It was it was very very well called because the way they called it, the the way they kind of threw off Venables, Togiai, Togiai, Togiai. That that's the name I was looking for out of Ohio State. I mean, you're pretty um, close. Yeah. Anyways. It's the way they they played their uh, their offense to throw off intervals. They the way they used the tempo and didn't use the tempo. They they changed things up. You know they they'd use tempo. They would finish one play. They'd get to the line, call the play, and go. And they'd get that type of tempo going. And then all of a sudden they'd finish the play. They'd go back into the huddle. They'd line up and then they'd sit there waiting for the play call and they'd sit there and they'd sit there until the play clock ran down. And then all of a sudden they'd set go mm-hmm. and throwing off, you know, they, they, they threw their, their own timing off. They threw their own timing off to throw off Clemson's timing. Well, that's, that's the, that's the easy part about playing <laughs> offense. You know, the play's coming and especially <laughs> And especially having success and being able to go over there and discuss what they're going to do the next drive and not having the added pressure of being one dimensional because after the 14 points, Clemson really, really foundered. So, yeah. And so Clemson was made one dimensional. So, cause they had to get back in the game being able to open up your whole playbook and not having to throw half of it out that allowed Ohio state to get to the point where they were just, it, it was just, well, let's, let's do this, this drive. Let's, let's focus on this. Let's do it on that. What did you see? Attack this point, attack that point. And I mean, credit kudos to Ryan day and his staff. Cause man, they, they looked really, really good against a, against a very good opponent. Yes, that that's best way I can put it. They did a very very good job. That was good. That was a good game called both sides of the ball, defense and offense. Special teams. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't pay much attention to the, to the special teams since it didn't stick out. In in special teams, that's a good job. If special teams doesn't stick out, you're doing a good job. So. Well, nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing to hurt them. <laughs> so, right. And I mean, when you got, when your offense is clicking on all cylinders, it, the, the pressure gets, gets taken off and 
<laughs> makes makes it a whole lot easier. Just don't screw it up. <laughs> it's a good it's a good game when the punter's bored. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. When the water when the punter has to warm up twice. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what more so, could you ask for, right? Exactly. So now we'll move into the preview. Alabama and Ohio State. And just like I said last week when we were talking about Clemson, Ohio State, I was not sure, but I, I thought Clemson would come out. But I was I still had that question because again, we haven't seen enough of Ohio State to make that determination. What we saw last sat was it sat was it Saturday or was it Friday? Saturday. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was Saturday. Saturday. And um, what we saw that day, that was the best of Ohio State this year by far. Now, are they going to have their game this, this coming tomorrow night, or are they going to have the same type of game they had against Clemson? That's still to be seen. And here, here's the thing. How is Justin Fields' ribs going to be? Or is he going to be? He's not going to be 100%. That's, that's a given. He's not going to be 100%, but is his 80% good enough? Is his 90% good enough? That's the question. I mean, is his 90% still pretty darn strong? <laughs> yeah. So I think. From what from what I saw from both games, you know, we weren't really surprised by Alabama. We, no, and I think the 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 consistency has kind of been a linchpin for Saban, and it's it's more news when Alabama gets away from that than when they perform at the level we expect them to perform at. The big question is, um, you know. Is Alabama going to be able to do anything with Ohio State's offense? Because I don't think they've seen a quarterback of Justin Fields' caliber. I don't think they've seen a running back of Trey Story's caliber. Um, their defense, I think, I think it's going to be a shootout. I, I'm seeing, a, I'm seeing game in the 40s or 50s. To be honest with you, um, it. Yeah. it it, it might be just to track me, to be honest with you. Because yeah. I, I, I see <laughs> Ryan Day has got the got the boys from Columbus in the horseshoe. They he has got them in the right mindset and he has got them fired up. Everybody has given him enough billboard material from Clemson and Ohio and Alabama where they're not gonna need any extra motivation. No, they're, they're, they're not. They, they they are going to be amped up to the nines, and I I think it'll be a close game. I think it. I think Alabama wins in the end. It's now we were talking about coaching changes before, and we'll get to that more of that later. But an individual that's in the middle of that mm-hmm. is Steve, if Steve Sarkeesian. Now he's coaching the game, correct? Yes, he is. He's okay. not. He's he's not. He's not going to Texas until after this game. Now uh, uh, he says that publicly and you know, he, he can do that, but I'm sure he's spending 
eight hours on Ohio State and four hours on Texas, or oh, maybe I'm, even more, you know, but I, yeah. I'm sure he has movers at the house, but <laughs> national championship ring goes a long, long way, and especially Alabama's, because <laughs> I don't know if you've seen some of the ones they've come out with here lately. Oh, yeah. But the, but the, <laughs> but the dang things are flipping huge. They're just, <laughs> they're just gigantic. Talking about rings, I'm, I'm going off. I'm, I'm going off a little bit here. The SEC champions have been getting they're basically three rings. They'll get the SEC championship ring. Then they'll get their own national chip, national championship ring. And then the CFP gives them a ring. So they end up getting three rings. I was fortunate enough to work with Boise State football in in 14 as a student athletic trainer. We went to the Fiesta Bowl. We won that Fiesta Bowl. Now, prior to that, they all brought us in and they we got our ring we got our ring size. They they sized us for rings. Didn't think much of it. I didn't think, you know, okay, they're sizing us for rings. Maybe, maybe not. Lo and behold, two months, two or three months after the Fiesta Bowl, they call us down to the football facility and say, we got something for you. Got in there, and here's this nice little wood box with a nice clear top, and on the inside is a very nice championship ring with my name on it. And for them to splurge for the money, I mean, what, 300, 400 bucks for a student athletic trainer. I thought that was that was pretty special. But I'll send you a picture of that, and I think you'll enjoy that. Oh, yeah. I, I have my own wayward connection to <laughs> Alabama, ironically enough. Um, my brother, he works for the University of Alabama. And he is on their building their uh project he's a project manager for the construction of the university and his main focus uh when he first started there was the malmore athletic complex and they redid the welcoming center and the displays and it's really it's really top level stuff and i, I promise you if, you if you ever get a chance to i can i'll if you ever get down to Tuscaloosa way for any reason, I'll, I'll, I'll make some calls and you can take a look for yourself, but they have a display of all the national championships and sec championship rings that Alabama has won. And I haven't seen the latest ones, but the national championship rings that Saban has since he's got there, they are like something out of a rap video. They're just, <laughs> they're big <laughs> They're gaudy, but man, they're cool looking. Yep. So I I can only imagine what what you guys uh, earned earned from the Fiesta Bowl back in uh, fourteen. So uh, big props there. But uh, getting back to what we were talking about, Steve Sarkeesian is going to be there. I don't see Alabama letting up. I don't see Alabama really changing anything. Uh, I know that Nick Saban and his crew will find something to to exploit against Ohio State. 
and they're going to put up points. Now, does Ohio State do the same thing to Alabama? Time will tell. But Ryan Day is a good coach, and he's definitely got his team in a good headspace, like I said before. Yeah, that's like when um, they had the little – when Kiffin decided to leave the Alabama's last championship run, Kiffin decided to leave for – he went to one of the – not Florida Atlantic. Yep. Yeah, it was Florida, Florida Atlantic. Okay. He went, but Saban decided to say, hey, go ahead and step off. And then Save or Sarkeesian stepped in. That was seamless. And we know how that happened. And, how uh-huh. that happened. and it went very well for Alabama. I don't think Sarkeesian, yeah, I'm with you. I, Sarkeesian will not let anything bother him through this. Yeah. Uh, he's got. I think he's got his act together, and he'll, he'll he'll do very well through that. Another success story of the Nick Saban coaches rehabilitation program. <laughs> speaking of coaches, re- speaking yeah. of coaches rehabilitation program, Tom Herman. All 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 the all the all the moves and shaking and happenings of happening on the carousel, including your very own Smurf Turf crew. Getting their guy out of Oregon, Andy Avalos. So yep. tell me what you tell me what you think about this hire. Because from where I see it, I see it as a real good hire. Yeah, absolutely. When this all started, uh, he was my number one choice. Uh, Kellen Moore was my number two, and um, showed out of uh, Montana State was my number three. I'm I'm really happy. I'm extremely happy because I know how. Andy Avalos recruits. I know how enthusiastic he is. I know how much he loves this program, how much he loves this school, how much he loves this area. He will do very well. Uh, there's no question about that. And the way the the whole <laughs> the whole coaching circus went was kind of stressful. I wasn't stressed that much. I knew we'd get a good guy. And but watching some of the message boards and some of the tweets and everything, I'm like, come on, people, calm down. It'll be okay. Um, but like we said a couple episodes ago, they wanted to get their AD first. And I'll talk about that. Um, they got Dickie out of, and give me a couple seconds here. Uh, they got Dickie out of Baylor. Um, he was a, an associate, a, an associate president, um, under the athletic, uh, guys. He wasn't the athletic director, but he was associate president in charge of athletics or something like that. That is an out of the park home run, whatever analogy you want to put it, um, because he can he's coming in here with the exact attitude we need to get this program to where we to where we want to be everybody including the national press has called us a power program we want <laughs> as much as i hate and I've, we've talked about it several times as much as i hate the p5 and g5 labels everybody wants to get into that p5 level and let's not kid ourselves. It's, it's a difference of 
it's a it's a difference of seven at least seven digits maybe even eight digits uh money wise so you know i think he's he's the guy who will help get us prepared for that from there they want they wanted to get their ad and they got their ad and publicly they've been saying we didn't start to search until we got that ad again that's public speak they did start their search but once the ad got hired um they went after they went after avalos they went after chote um especially you know after more after more turned them down because like we both said jerry jones stepped up he <laughs> he provided money to more that couldn't be ignored so let me ask you this was was dicky part of that whole scandal with art briles down in baylor because no, it was it, no. it wasn't that long ago when they were that whole program was up in turmoil no so, he wasn't so he, he wasn't there during that he came on afterwards so dicky uh, was part of the rehabilitation part of that yes well i it's 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 hard to uh to call that not a great move by the Boise State uh, administration to make yeah. that move, then because I feel that with uh, with the departure of Harson and uh, and I, I don't know how many staff members you bring in, but it's not one or two. Um, I feel like that's a great hire, and and like you said, there's n- <laughs> there's no way they didn't have at least a short list of coaches that they wanted to bring in. And I definitely, and it's, they were the, the coaching list that Boise state had was really a, was really kind of a no brainer. It's, you know, who do we want? Who do we, mm-hmm. you know, who do, who has ties to the program? Who has West coast ties? Who, you know, who knows what Boise state's about? And with the hire of Avalos uh, from Oregon, I feel, I feel like they got exactly what they needed and exactly what they wanted. Yep. I mean, one, once Dickey was hired, they went after Brian Johnson out of Florida, the offensive coordinator there. They mm-hmm. went after Graham Harrell, the offensive coordinator at USC. And they also, again, they went after Avalos and they went after Choate. Um, and I was watching all the um, alumni athletes coming out and speaking their minds and they're saying, keep it in the family, keep it in the family. I'm like, I can't, you look at Brian Johnson and what he's done with Florida and you're thinking, Oh, that could be also nice. And, but again, Avalos was my first choice. I mean, I, I got the shiny thing from Florida, but we actually got down to earth and um, and got Avalos, which I'm extremely happy about. And from there, we've lost a couple of our coaches. They they tagged along with Harson down to Auburn, and in fact, you guys got a real good administrator down there out of us, Brad Larondo, who was the associate athletic director in charge of football here. I'm sure he will end up 
getting a similar position there in Auburn, if not chief of staff. Um, we'll see how that goes. And what are you thinking down there in Auburn? Well, uh, definitely liking the, uh, the O-line hire. Um, I don't know much about uh, tight ends coach, uh, strength conditioning coach, but I, that's not really <laughs> to be unexpected, to be honest with you, because, I mean, other than people that are in programs and how many, how many tight ends coaches slash special teams coordinators and strength and conditioning coaches can you name? I mean, exactly. but, but, except for but the one the, out of Oregon, I can't name them, but I know them. But the, but the, <laughs> the proof, the proof is going to be uh, here in about uh, two years after their first recruiting class and seeing the development and that sort of thing uh, as to how the coaches are doing and that sort of thing. But uh, I understand Harson's logic behind it. Hire, hire the people that know what you're, what you're all about and what you're trying to accomplish. And uh, the guys he's brought down on the offensive side of the ball, they're exactly that. They're part of, they are part of team part. They're part of team Harson, excuse me. Yep. So in addition to that, on the defensive side of the ball, they have uh, they have hired Derek Mason from Vanderbilt, and I've actually got a chance to meet Derek Mason, and super nice guy. Super, he's he's a controlled intensity coach, if that makes any sense to anybody. But I like Derek Mason. I like him as a person. I like him as a coach. Unfortunately, being hired at Vanderbilt is a very tough situation. You are it, it's Vanderbilt. So you have super high academic standards, and yet you're supposed to compete with the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Floridas of the SEC, which is no easy task on a regular basis, let alone when you've got stipulations and guidelines. So I think he was placed in a no-win situation there at Vanderbilt. But I definitely like the hire. Uh, Mason has since brought in Zach Etheridge, uh, former Auburn player, and he uh, – Zach Etheridge was – a has been developing as a coach. He was listed as a 35 under 35, which is kind of a hot list of young, uh, young coaches coming up through the ranks. Uh, he just came from, I believe Houston where he's had uh, a couple of all conference and uh, a couple all Americans out there. And I'm thrilled to death with that one. Uh, Harson has decided to keep on uh, Carnell Cadillac Williams. Uh, as running back coach, and I, that that's just an awesome hire. It's always great to have uh, in kind of an Auburn legacy guy there to on staff, and uh, he he can definitely attest to what it means to be an Auburn man. And the the one thing I'm I'm really hoping happens is I hope Ronnie Garner is retained and stays on the the staff because. Uh, Auburn's already getting getting a bite of the of the transfer bug. There's a lot of lot of players that are getting out of town and entering the transfer portal. So, I think if they can uh, retain some of the some of the veteran coaches there on Auburn staff, I think that would go a long way into keeping some of the players there uh, on Auburn staff and would make the transition a lot easier for Harson if the cupboard isn't bare. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that just that might just be a a product of 
I don't know who exactly who's gone into the transfer portal, but it might be a product of them looking and looking at Mike Bobo and seeing what offense he likes to run and saying, Oh, I don't like that offense. And that's, uh, I, I probably won't want to get out of here. Or they might look at um, Derek Mason's defense and say, well, that doesn't fit me either. Where am I going to fit in that defense? That might be a product of that. And we'll, we'll see out of that. But yeah, um, looking at the, the previous Boise State coaches, uh, Brad Bedell, he's going to tight ends, which traditionally is an entry level, the entry level assistant coach on the offensive, on the offensive side. He coached offensive line at Boise State. And there were a lot of people who weren't happy with him as an offensive line coach because we had some very good talent. We, we still have some very good talent at that offensive line position and they just, and they never seemed to actually get it together. One year they would be absolutely awesome in run blocking. The run game would be outstanding, but the past game and last year showed it. The quarterback would just get beat all the, you know what? Yeah. Then the next year, the passing protection would be outstanding. You know, we'd give up the least amount of sacks, so forth and so on, but the running game would be horrid. They just couldn't put everything together. And and being the offensive line coach, he's the figurehead for the offensive line, and he caught, whether it's justified or not, he caught most of the backlash for that. So he's going to tight ends, and we'll see how that goes. Um, Jeff Smedding, he was our defensive coordinator, or was he a defensive line coach? Um, either defensive line coach or defensive coordinator. Um, he's going to inside linebackers, and I think Travis Williams has got the outside for those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will do a very good job. Everybody loves Schmetting. He's a he's a great coach. From what I could gather from the athletes and just you know, the tweets that I see here and there. Uh, very good coach. The players love him. The strength and conditioning coach, Pittman, um, affectionately known as Pitt for obvious reasons. Very, very, very intense individual. As we were saying pre-show, he is a the the atypical alpha male that you would expect out of a strength and conditioning coach. He I've seen, (laughs) I physically saw him work with the golf team. One time he had the golf team running stadiums. (laughs) Ooh, I like it. (laughs) I'm sitting out there. Because when you, when you think of golf teams, you really think of, we need to get out there and do some stadiums. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I was, uh, I think I, I think I might have been working with um, maybe swimming and diving. No, swimming and diving would be at the uh, Taco Bell Arena. I was at the um, Varsity Center, which is there's three different athletic training clinics on Boise State campus. There's the uh, what is now Extra Mile Arena, 
athletic training clinic. There's the varsity center athletic training clinic. Then there's the football athletic training clinic. And I was with one of the teams that was in the varsity center. And I walked out onto the blue one day because I heard this grunt of a man yelling. And I'm like, what the, what the heck's going on out there? I walk out there on the blue and look up and here's Pitt with the golf team running stadiums. And I'm just, I'm giggling under my, I'm giggling under my voice. Cause I, I didn't want to laugh out loud and have him see me. And okay, here I am. I'm, I'm a 48 year old student and this 30 some old, old man is probably going to tear me up upside down and inside out. If I end up yelling and laughing at his, the team that he's working with, but yeah, I got off, I got out of of earshot pretty, pretty quick. And I started, I started giggling pretty, pretty good, but he's that type of guy. We'll see. Um, I mean, all, all the football coaches, they like to drag along their strength and conditioning coach. I've seen it every time. I mean, when Pete left here, he dragged his his guy up there to Washington. Um, I can't remember when Dan Hawkins left, if he dragged his guy down or not to Colorado. Um, and Dirk Cutter, when he left for Arizona State, I I really don't know about that one. So we'll see how that, how he happens to, how, what happens when he gets SEC money and SEC uh, resources to see how well he can, he can get those guys ready. Well, I saw uh, just checking out, you know, how the coaching staff was filling out. Um, Mike Bobo actually brought Will Friend over him, over with him from South Carolina. Uh, off of off of Muschamp staff uh, there, so Will Friend is going to be taking over the offensive line coach uh, there at Auburn, and uh, Etheridge was actually um, has connections to Derek Mason uh, through uh, Ted Roof, so that's that's kind of the six degrees of separation and how everything gets to be connected there. Yeah. But if uh, it, it remains to be seen whether uh, Cody Burns and uh, Ronnie Garner is going to be re- uh, retained. Um, as of right now, it doesn't look like it. Uh, Cody Burns was coaching. Uh, he was co-offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach uh, okay. there at Auburn. Plus, and uh, he's, a, he's an Auburn grad as well. So um, I don't know if he's going to be kept on. It'll be uh, kind of interesting to see whether that happens. Right. Uh, el- elsewhere through the country, there's been quite a few different coaching changes. Uh, yep. And then uh, the big one, like you were, you, you started talking about the, the Alabama head coach rehabilitation program. Uh-huh. Um, I'm wondering if one each Mark Herman will end up finding some time there. Well, uh, it's not only Steve Sarkeesian that's uh, got a head coaching job out of the Alabama Coaches Rehab Clinic. Uh, Butch Jones also got a got a job at got the head coaching gig at Arkansas State. And no, while it's not a high profile hire as you would expect, there's still there there's still work to be done there. So it it ought to be pretty interesting, uh, especially after Butch Jones's 
debacle there in Tennessee. He did he did not have a good time there. And, and but, that's uh, another subject that I'm, I'm not going to go off on, but let, let's keep Tennessee in mind right now and what's going we, on in that program. We That will be a later episode, I'm sure. Um, Brett Bielema takes over for Levy Smith there at Illinois. Uh, I like that. He's he's a Big yes. Ten guy uh, right down the road from Wisconsin. Uh, Terry Bowden's getting back into the coaching game down there yeah. in Monroe, Louisiana. Home, and home he's dragging – who did he get – oh, he dragged somebody with him, another ex-coach, another ex-head coach. He dragged um, as one of the coordinators with him. Yeah, I can't. I I can't think of it right now, and I can't think of what to look up. Real quick, but yeah, he dragged another ex coach with him down there. Um, it it should be an interesting staff there. And not only are some of the interesting some some of the interesting coaching moves aren't necessarily being moved, uh, they're being retained. Uh, there was talk about Mar- Mario Cristobal leaving. He's staying put at Oregon. Jamie Chadwell gets extended out of uh, the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. Just signed a seven-year deal. So, mm-hmm. I mean, one, one year career makes, I guess. Uh, yeah. Justin, Justin Fuentes at Virginia Tech is, is staying put. So is Scott Statterfield at uh, Louisville. And one thing I was kind of surprised to see is Billy Napier's not going anywhere from the from the University of Louisiana Raging Cajuns, which I kind of thought he'd be on the move to bigger and better things, but maybe yep. something just didn't really, uh, the shoe didn't fit, I guess, as it were. So, yeah. And um, the, the biggest retention, and I don't know why there was this big question of why, uh, of if or not, if they'd be retained or not, is um, Harbaugh, Harbaugh, <laughs> up at uh, Michigan, you know, obviously his record against Ohio state, his record against the big rivals is not that great, but he's averaging what? Nine wins a season, almost 10 wins a season. It's kind of what we were talking about off air earlier about the whole uh, Mark Rick thing down in Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. He's still putting together quality seasons that pretty much every program in the nation with the exception of maybe four or five would love to have. But is that going to be enough to keep him from the chopping block? Well, apparently it is because Michigan's holding on to him. Now, seven years. Will it be enough to keep him there? Because the grumblings weren't he was going to jump to a different program because I'm pretty sure that that's the pinnacle for him in college coaching. There's there's not many programs that are going to match resources with Michigan. Nope. But the NFL could come calling again very, very soon. And that could be his ticket out of Ann Arbor is back into the NFL. So, yeah, but good good for Harbaugh. Good for for Harbaugh. Good for big blue. Seven more years, seven more years of losing to Ohio state. The one, the one I want to touch on real quick is Tom Herman's um, very quick exit out of uh, Texas. Boy, it sure was too. Yeah, it was. If, it was. It was almost like that Sarkeesian firing from USC. Yeah. If if you've paid attention to that situation, Texas, it was more than like a week or maybe two weeks prior to him getting fired, 
their AD saying, Oh, he's our guy. You know? mm-hmm. And all of a sudden one day, Tom Herman's been let go at university of Texas three or four hours later, Steve Sarkeesian has been hired at the university of Texas. Well, so I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the Texas board of directors was just kind of waiting on Sark, uh, Sark's agent to get back on the phone and get back to him. Yeah. Uh, like, I could see yeah, that. Tom Herman's our guy. He's going to be our head coach. Wait, Sark's available. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Herman, you're fired. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's like, Behind the scenes, we're talking with Sarkeesian, talking with Sarkeesian, talking with Sarkeesian. And he's saying, no, we're not having enough for that, not for that, not for that. All of a sudden, okay, we'll do the deal. <laughs> Bye, Tom. Well, uh, so, Herman, Herman, Herman kind of came, came into Austin with a bit of a gusto, and they were expecting big things. And honestly, uh, no, no Big 12 championship, no, you know, no no big bowl appearances. Yeah. Kind of writings on the wall there in Texas. Yeah. Winner, winner be gone. And especially when you've got uh, Oklahoma winning, winning titles and a a bit of a resurgence with Jimbo Fisher down there at A&M. It's, it's really, you know, kind of trying to keep up with the Joneses. They're there with uh, Longhorn nation. Absolutely. Um, And, and and Texas is one of my teams. Uh, I mean, I've got, I've got a few handhold, a few, a handful of teams that I, I call my own. One's Florida State, one is Texas, and obviously nearest, dearest, number one is Boise State. I'd like to see Texas get back up in there. Um, seeing Texas the way they are now, it's, it's kind of hard to watch and. Florida State, I'm really, I'm really struggling with Florida State right now. I, I want to see they've got all the talent in the world. They've got the coaching talent. I just don't know what's going on at Florida State right now. Well, I mean, Terry Bowden was on the market. Could have <laughs> brought him in there at Tallahassee, just saying. Yeah, well, I think the guy they got there now, um, Norvell, I think he'll yeah. get there. He's just got I he's the 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 bumps that they've had at the at the school right now it's a culture change. Mm-hmm. And the the big call <laughs> the civil rights thing this summer and along with the culture change at Florida State has probably put a strain on that team. Let's give him a couple more years and let's hope let's hope the boosters give him a couple more years also to get that thing turned around. Well, we should, we shall see. We shall see. So amped up for tomorrow night's game. Can't wait. Uh, we will, we will bring you at least one more episode uh, recapping the, the year that was in college football. Uh, Asterisk. Uh, uh, <laughs> Hashtag COVID life. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we're going to, we're going to have a bit of a, a year in review show where we'll also look into uh, some more of the coaching carousel progressions next week. And we'll, and we'll review the national championship game between Ohio state and the Ohio state Buckeyes. Absolutely. So if you 
hopefully you figured it out that you will probably be listening to this after the game has been played. So take that with a grain of salt. I'm probably not going to be able to get this published until maybe tomorrow night, maybe not even until Tuesday night. So, because I'll be watching the game tomorrow night. So let's hope that you take this episode and say, well, that's already happened. Well, please understand podcasts. And if you're a consistent podcast listener, you do understand that. So, um, we will, I'll try and get this posted as soon as possible, but please keep that in mind. So again, if you like what you're hearing, even if you don't like what you're hearing, please rate and comment. If you don't like what you're hearing, comment on it. That's going to help us improve. That's going to help us talk about what you do want to hear about. And that's the only way that's the only way we're going to get, get to improve is if you rate us and you comment on it uh, along with that, go ahead and please subscribe. Cause that also lets us know how well we're doing. Cause if you subscribe, we know we're doing a good job cause you want to hear us and you want to be notified of when a new episode drops. And that's going to be doubly important come the off season, because if we decide to do an off season show, and it drops and you're subscribed, boom, you'll know it and you'll be able to listen. So rate, comment, subscribe, share, let your buddies and know that we're out here and what we're talking about. And with that, I will sign off. Um, this year, co-host Steve Payson. This is Trey Payson. And this is No Relation Calls Football P5 versus G5. Signing off. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys.